there's a difference between head forgiveness, but then there's heart forgiveness where it truly doesn't bother you anymore. Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on personal growth and lifestyle design. My name's Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. After the episode, the conversation continues in our Lavender Lifestyle Facebook group, so I can't wait to see you there. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Lavender Lifestyle. It's your host, Eileen. Today's episode is very, very interesting, and you're going to be very intrigued by our guest. I just know it. So, with us today is Rachel Reimer. Rachel Reimer is a medical intuitive. Her job is to help someone understand why they aren't feeling well and what steps they can take to start on their journey towards a better health. She accomplishes this through someone's name and a recent picture to get her insights. Get ready to learn more about. What a medical intuitive is, how they do their work, and how you can use this knowledge and information to improve your own life, improve your own health, and heal from anything you need to heal from. And at the end of the interview, Rachel does a live reading on me. We haven't talked before this interview. All I did was send her my picture and have a conversation with her throughout this interview. And she gained all of these crazy insights that I have no idea how she would know otherwise because so much. Of it, I don't even talk about online. So here is Rachel Reimer. Hello, Rachel. Welcome to the Lavender Lifestyle. I am so excited to talk to you today. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So, first things first, can you explain what is a medical intuitive? Sure. So, my definition of a medical intuitive is someone that provides physical, emotional, and/or spiritual insight as to why someone has developed a disease in the first place and or why they're not getting better. I love that. And what do you use, I guess, to get your insights? How does it work? Sure. So from my understanding, every medical intuitive, as anyone that kind of works in the spiritual realm, has their own way of gathering information. My current way is through a recent picture of someone. And I just basically have the ability to go in and see what's going on in that person's body uh, physically as far as uh, organ function goes, tissue function, bone, the systems together, anything like that. Emotions. So a lot of us store emotions when we're stressed out in different places in our body and what particular stress that is Mm -hmm. because all the time we hear about in the medical community is that stress is bad for us. Well, yes, that's true, but can we be a bit more specific so that that's helpful? And that's where I come in of, okay, this person said this Mm. exact phrase and that's what you're not comfortable with and that's what your body's hanging on to. So let's figure out a way for you to become okay with that statement so it no longer bothers you. And when it no longer bothers you, the body has no reason to hold on to it anymore. So Uh. from my perspective, the symptom is basically a warning light saying, hey, I'm emotionally not okay with something going on right now in my life. Wow. Going back to the photo part, do you just need to see a photo of their face? Like how can you see the different parts of the body, you know, just from one picture? Great question. So (laughs) it can be just a face picture. Some people send me full body pictures. Some people just send me chest up. Some people send me face. As long as I know who it is, 
that's all I need to know in order to get my information. So I, I wish I had a more logical way of going in and explaining that, but it's just from source of if I know who I'm talking about, I can go in and ask the questions that I need to to figure out what's going on. How did you discover you had this ability? I want to hear that story. <laughs> so I, I wish it was a little more straightforward. It's been a very windy <laughs> path. I have been able to see things from a young age, but I thought that everyone could being in my own magical imagination world as a little kid. I'm like, of mm -hmm. course, people can see these other things and they know these other things. And as I started to get older, especially in high school, I'd start asking more questions like, hey, when you close your eyes, what do you see? And they're like, black. I'm like, that's it? And they're like, that's it. I'm like, wow. Oh my gosh. Okay, that's pretty boring. Tell me what you see. Was, it, <laughs> it depends on the day. Sometimes I'll see just rainbow colors. Sometimes I'll see certain images or symbols. And I'm like, you guys don't see any of that? And they're like, no. Oh my goodness. Are you okay? I'm like, I, I think I'm okay. <laughs> so it kind of got taken into more of an extreme throughout the later part of high school because I ended up getting really sick. And in retrospect, I think that was because I was denying a huge part of myself, which was that I can see things that mm. other people can't see. And that's a big pill to swallow because right. you're basically at this conclusion of if I choose to accept that this is true, that means my whole entire life and my whole perspective on life is going to change. Yeah. And that was a really big kind of crossroads where I had to say, well, whatever's on the other side is clearly better than laying in bed almost every single day. So I'm going to mm -hmm. going to try to at least explore that other part and that other side of life, which I have no regrets, absolutely no regrets choosing that whatsoever. I see. So this sense, have you been able to like develop it and hone it? Like, is did it get better over time? Over time, it's gotten a lot better. As I was sick, I actually went to a, a holistic health clinic and the person that was actually helping me on the physical level noticed that I could see people that have crossed over. And she mm -hmm. commented on it one time because I was looking at an empty table, which mm. from my perspective, there was a guy sitting there. And she said, oh, wow. yeah, he comes in and visits all the time. And I said, I've kind of like did one of the slow net turns like, what? what? <laughs> I was like, you see that too? She's like, yeah, you're like, that's probably why you're sick. And I said, Oh, oh my god. Well, now what do I do? And she's like, well, stop being a dummy. Stop eating bad food. Do this. <laughs> Actually do the nice physical. And we had very detailed talks about physically what needs right. to be done, but then emotionally and spiritually, like, look, this is a big part of you. I'd recommend following it. So I actually ended up working in that office after mm -hmm. I graduated high school. She was my mentor for about two years. And I found some other mentors along the way. And a job that I got later in college, I was a chiropractic assistant, and it got to the point where I would share an office with the chiropractor. I did a lot of the billing and patient management stuff behind the scenes, and someone would call in for a new appointment, and I'd look at her, and then I, they would say, yeah, I'm just coming in. I need to be in Tuesday at 9 a.m. or something. I'm like, great, we'll put you in mm -hmm. then. See you then. I'd turn over, look directly at the chiropractor, make eye contact with her, and I said, primary complaint is migraines. And she would just kind of look at me like, Rachel, you're full of it. Like, stop, whatever. So I get up there. It was my job to help the patient process their paperwork and things like that. And yeah. nine times out of 10, that would be their primary complaint. I would have a big grin on my face. I'd hand her the patient <laughs> paperwork and I'd say, look at the, what their primary complaint is. So wow. she eventually was kind of like, 
okay, this definitely isn't a coincidence. Mm -hmm. So she started bringing me into the treatment room and logically I would be sitting there doing notes as to what she adjusted on the patients. But I would also be saying, hey, like make sure you check this Alzheimer's patient's right ankle because they don't have the ability to really speak up for themselves. Same things with little kids. Mm -hmm. They can't really verbalize where their pain is at. So I did a lot of practice with that. And over time, it was just a whole general population of patients that would come in and they were very respectful of what I did and really appreciated the kind of work. And now I'm to the point where I can just look at a picture and do that. That is incredible. And wow, you're so amazing. I have so many questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess I'll ask a question that might help everyone. What do you find are the most common roots of physical health problems? You say that you see all these patterns. What do they look like? (laughs) The number one thing that people hold on to is anger and resentment. Mm. So especially in the world that we live in with cancer, from Louise Hay's perspective, which is a lot of where the baseline of where my work stems from is within her her insights of cancer has to do with anger and resentment. Mm. And when we choose to not figure out how to become okay with something and truly forgive someone, that's when our body tends to hold on to something for years and years and years. And that's when it chronically manifests. So I want to be very specific when people talk about forgiveness. I think there's a difference between head forgiveness where I logically forgive this person and understand they didn't mean to do it. But then there's heart forgiveness where you're actually 100% okay with it. It truly doesn't bother you anymore. Mm. So the example I always like to give to that is let's say that you let your best friend borrow your car. You're 16 got a brand new car. Your best friend's like, great. Can I take it around the corner and do a test drive or something? Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. sure. No problem. And your best friend actually rams your car into a tree and totals it. Mm, Yeah. You'd be angry. (laughs) Yes. So you can totally understand that your friend did not have the meaningful intention to go out and drive it into a tree, but that doesn't mean you're going to forgive them and let that idea completely go. So how could you let that idea completely go? One, you could have a conversation and you could realize how sorry he is. And then you really do realize that he didn't mean to do it. Secondly, you realize that if that car never would have crashed into the tree, that you wouldn't have gotten an even better car or a Mm. car with a better stereo in it or something like that, where you can truly go in and 100% forgive people. So The thing that I most commonly hear when working with personal clients is abuse or my mom didn't tell me she loved me or my dad never showed up for me. We can logically sit here and say, well, they were tired or they were working all the time, but our little kid in us doesn't forgive that because we're still not okay with it. We have to figure out a way to conceptualize that. Well, my dad probably didn't spend time with me because he was doing the very best he could because he was exhausted from working 80 hours a week. When you put it in a mind frame like that, that tends to be when people can truly let it go and heart forgive someone. Right. And so it seems like a lot of what you do is is also psychology based, right? So in, in essence, yeah, it's basically why did this happen in the first place? Why is it bothering you? Because right. it wouldn't bother some other people. So there's clearly some kind of emotional root that's intact mm-hmm. here. And how can we move on from it so that you're 100% okay with it? And when you're 100% okay with it, the body feels the need to let go of anything that it's been holding on to. I love it. You said that you read Louise Hay, and I've heard about her theories on how every symptom of your physical body comes from like an emotional 
or spiritual like cause. And I've also read like Carolyn Miss. So do you completely believe in that? Or do you believe that? Because scientifically, you know, there are reasons for certain diseases or things like that. So what is your stance on that spectrum? 99% of the time, I believe that our physical problems come from a emotional root. The only thing that mm-hmm. I'm still struggling with, which I'm sure there's a larger emotional or spiritual lesson involved, is like the common cold or flu. Right. Kind of thing. Because like when you I catch a cold, someone, yeah. That, right. The, a viral bacteria or something like that. Yeah. Stuff like that. And then the only other thing is injuries. So if you fell off Mm -hmm. a ladder and broke your leg and it hurts, I would imagine it would hurt on a physical level. Now, one could argue that you fell off the ladder in the first place because you've been rushing life and this event needed to happen to get you to pay attention to what's been going on in your life. We could spin it in that nature. But as far Mm -hmm. as like black and white goes, I think that just the common cold or a common virus is definitely something that might truly just be physical and accidents or injuries from accidents might be truly physical. Okay. Yeah. Because I've always been curious about that. I'm curious, do you think normal people can develop the sense of medical intuition or can we be better at being intuitive with our own bodies? Because not everyone can see a medical intuitive. So how can we help ourselves? I think as long as you have the awareness and the time to reflect, you can start to pinpoint your specific habits and your specific symptoms that relate to one another. So for example, I have a personal client and she complains of a rash on her hands constantly, but she, now that she's taken the time to just sit and notice what has happened three days before the rash starts on her hand, she notices that she has a fight with her boyfriend every single time. So I think if we sit here in the moment when we're sick and we say, what got me to this place? What happened three to five days before where I'm currently at now? Let me go in and figure out what I'm not okay with and see if this becomes this frequent pattern Mm. over time. Random thought. What about allergies? Do you think that has some sort of emotional, spiritual cause? Or is that one of those things that is also just physical? As far as food allergies, environmental allergies, what do you mean by that? Both. Like when people develop an allergy. Okay. So <laughs> so in general, from a Louise Hay perspective, uh, allergies tend to be a loss of power. So I think that seasonal allergies and food allergies tend to be more prevalent in people that have more emotional things going on and feel like they don't have complete control over the beliefs and mindsets that they have. So we never have control of our external circumstances, but we have control of the way that we view them. And that tends to be more of a defeatist attitude of, I I don't see any way out of this. I'm going to be doomed in Mm. this. Uh, There's no way to fix it kind of thinking. What about a baby that is born with allergies? Would you, do you believe in like, it carries on from a past life or anything like that? We can get into the whole, this kind of covers a whole realm of population that I'm really interested in right now, or children born with developmental disabilities, things of that nature. And from my perspective, uh, this goes more into the Carolyn Miss kind of conversation of the soul contracts of before you get here on earth, you make a contract with your parents or other family members that you have. And you say, I want to choose to learn how to handle this certain belief system or this certain circumstance. And I'm going to choose to express that in a physical manner. So in a physical disease, as I come in. Mm -hmm. So I've been working with a lot of people in little kids in wheelchairs. It's a very interesting concept because the older that they get, some of the older people that I work with in wheelchairs, they can see that those are the lessons they want to learn. 
and they wouldn't have it any other way. Because if you ask them, well, Mm. let's say you ask someone, a 30 year old in a wheelchair, that's been in a wheelchair their whole entire life. They would say, no, I don't, I don't want to, this, this is who I am. This is what I'm choosing to go through. This is what I want to learn. So I, I think that that really supports my current viewpoint right now. And I am totally open to change. I have changed some of my theories over time with the more work that I've done, but that's, that's my current viewpoint on that is that sometimes we're just born into this life through a soul contract based off of the lessons that we wanted to learn. Right. And that concept of soul contract, I I know a lot of people, they don't know it or they don't believe in it. And so a lot of people say a child is born into a disadvantaged situation. They they can see it as, oh, I'm, I'm handicapped. This is bad. And you know how it can go into a negative spiral where they don't see a reason for it? Mm-hmm. How do you help people get out of that mindset? How do you help them heal and get to that place where they are, are grateful for what life gave them? So the first step is to decide how willing someone is to release that belief, because some of our beliefs are life and death. And that's literally what I do on the provider side of things where people mm-hmm. choose to die. And it sounds weird, but I'm going to use this wording. They choose to die of stage four cancer rather than conquer some of these beliefs. I actually worked with the breast cancer mm. um, patient. She had stage four cancer. And I went through and kind of said, hey, from my perspective, I think this is what's related to your stage four breast cancer. And she said, I agree. And I'm not ready to move on from it. And then really, she, we never worked together again, which is fine. That's her own path. But she was choosing to not go there and continue on with her ill health rather than dealing with it. Wow. So that's the first step is if someone's not receptive to hearing something, I'm literally talking to a wall. There's just a wall in front of them. There's nothing you can do. The second step is asking them different questions so that they can see their own awareness around that particular situation to the point where they say, you know what, this, this really doesn't feel good. And once we're both in agreement that this isn't feeling good for you, we can go in and figure out different ways to look at the situation so Mm -hmm. you feel a lot better with it. Yeah. You mentioned that you have changed your theories in the past. What were some of those things that you've changed your mind on? So this is more of a controversial subject and it's totally okay if not everyone believes in this because again, this is something that I've changed my mind on. And I actually heard this theory from one of my mentors and I really liked it. And that was the topic of abortion. So going back Mm -hmm. into the mindset of the soul contracts, and this is what I'm choosing to experience when a woman is pregnant and the woman is debating on whether or not they want to keep the child. It's, from my perspective, that the child is choosing to be in that situation and that the mother does choose to abort that child, that that child is also on board with that and wanted to experience that at that moment in time. Now, if Mm -hmm. we're thinking about it from a logical perspective, I totally understand where someone would come in and say, well, hey, this isn't okay. The baby had no choice over this if we're taking Mm -hmm. all spiritual perspectives out of it. So that's something that I've really changed my mind on is that the baby is, and all of us are willingly choosing to go through these lessons, Mm. even if we can't necessarily see that contract. Wow. So you believe that a baby, just the life itself already has a spirit and it already chose to be in that position. Yeah. Wow. I've never thought of it that way because it's it's a huge debate. Like, is that a soul? Is it a living thing when it's that tiny, you know? Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you want to tell us about being a medical intuitive that 
is surprising or that, well, I mean, it seems to me that everything is surprising, but is there something that you, you want to tell us? I think that most people don't understand how much garbage they carry around. So I always like to emphasize that a symptom is the last sign that something's wrong. So imagine mm-hmm. on your car, it's not like a warning light on your car. Like it's almost like your car's puttering out the exhaust tank. Like something's really, really not right. Right. So it's it's like you've been holding something for a long time. Yeah. We tend to think that symptoms are the first sign that something wrong. So mm-hmm. that doesn't mean freak out, have a panic attack kind of thing, but it means, okay, something's really been going on long enough that it's bothering me this bad. Right. And that when we're suppressing our symptoms, now, symptom suppression can be helpful in some cases. If you're in the midst of a panic attack or you just had knee surgery, I think that physical things to block some of those sensations and some of those symptoms are wonderful so that you can think straight and then kind of go on that emotional train. But if we're constantly choosing to cover up our symptoms, we're constantly just reinforcing that we're not dealing with our problems. And when we don't deal with our problems on the physical end, they tend to manifest in other areas of our life as well. So if I'm not going to look at my finances, I'm just going to keep swiping my credit card. If I'm going to just keep eating whatever's on my plate without making these conscious choices, because conscious choices actually start to take us in the direction that we want to go in our life. Right. It's all about becoming conscious and aware of what's happening and making the choice to do something better. What about mental health, like depression and anxiety? We got a Facebook question from Heba. She asked, how can we heal from depression and anxiety? To me, it sounds like it's all related. The depression, anxiety, and the physical symptoms. What is your take? So anxiety to me typically means that you feel like you have no control over the situation. And when you, that's basically a conversation you have to have with yourself from my perspective of why do I feel like I have no control? Is that really true? If it is true, why do I think that's true? Because I always have control of every single thing uh, in my life. If it's not from an external perspective, it is from an internal perspective. As far as depression goes, there's definitely some physical components to that on the emotional level, though. I tend to see a lot of built up anger. Mm. So I have uh, one person right now, his dad uh, just got put into a nursing home and he kind of, he has a tendency to go into these depression spirals. And from my perspective, he's angry that he can't do something for his dad because his dad has always showed up for him and has always helped Mm. him. And now he's sitting there and watching him in a nursing home just deteriorate. And he's so mad at himself that he can't do something about Mm. it and help him. A lot of people, when the topic of depression comes up, a lot of people say, oh, it's not all emotional, it's clinical, it's in the chemicals in their, you know, in their brain, it's the hormones. What, what do you say to that? I, I, let me first start off by saying that I work with a, whole, a holistic psychiatrist that actually works with patients out, outpatient. And I definitely think that prescriptions can be helpful in regards to that, but they've never solved the problem. Mm-hmm. They have never rebalanced anything to the point where they can be taken off of their prescriptions. So from my perspective with depression, anxiety, brain fog, uh, forgetfulness, those tend to be heavy metals from my perspective. So even if you do go in and balance a hormonal thing that tends to be off, it's not going to correct it in the mm-hmm. long term. 
Mm, I see. Just curious, because you have the sense of everyone, when you talk to people in everyday life, is it hard to turn that sense off? Like, are you overloaded oh, with information? And you know what I mean? How does it feel to live a day in your life? I'll tell you a funny story that happened yesterday. So I play the cello and I got really excited to go to a new orchestra uh, last night. And I ended up auditioning and it was this very small community orchestra. And my stand partner actually was a high school student. And I just kind of kept looking at him out of the side of my eye, like trying really not to be creepy. But this guy, I want to paint you an image. He's probably 5'9". Uh, he's a very small, lanky, white, skinny kid. And he was just has his neck completely turned over, like texting people on his phone. And he's just super pale and his eyes are bloodshot. And from my perspective, I wanted to just like almost like look at him, like grab him by the shoulders. And I'm like, these parasites are literally eating you alive. That's oh why you God. have all of these sugar cravings. And that's why your eyes are bloodshot is because you're anemic. I was like, just oh, stop. Oh my God. <laughs> like you're just making it worse every single day. Please stop. Wait, what do you mean parasites? So, so literal parasites, oh, parasites okay. that you can get. Yep. Oh, so you could see that already. Yes. And I could see all of them in his stomach and I just wanted oh. to just have a come to Jesus talk with him like, dude, like, you did you really say something? Stop. I didn't. <laughs> and I tend to, this tends to be how I handle it as if someone doesn't ask me, I don't tell them. And that tends to be the right. same with anyone's opinion that we have. Like, could you That's imagine true. a stranger just coming up to you on the sidewalk being like, got an ugly sweater on. You're like, screw you. I didn't even ask your opinion. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Wow. But that must be hard to hold back from, you know, trying to help people because I'm sure you care about that. Absolutely. And it, it does get challenging when I see someone that's really sick, especially if I see them on a reoccurring basis where it's kind of like, mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of dip my toe in the water and see how open it they are to it. And if they're not open at all, I understand that that's their own journey that they need to go through and experience. Right. So the friends and family in your life, everybody knows about this, right? That you're a medical intuitive. In my immediate family, yes. Oh, so is, this is not something that you will tell everyone you meet? No. So okay. I, I'm pretty open with it with friends and with my immediate family, but extended family, I really don't talk about it with. I really don't talk about this too much with my brother's Wow. Um, both of my brothers are very science-based logic thinkers mm -hmm. kind of thing. So uh, the only reason I actually talk to my parents about any of this is because I connect with their parents that have already passed on. And it's kind of wow. to the point where they're like, I don't know how you know that. And it's a little disturbing. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's been experiences like that where they're kind of at a healthy place from my understanding anyway, where they're totally accepting of that. Very, very interesting. So we're near the end of the interview. Would you rather do the live reading first or rapid fire questions? Oh, let's do the reading first. Okay. I'm a little nervous, but I guess we'll do a live reading on me today. Can you tell just by talking to me or was it through the photo? I can tell by talking to you, but it comes in way stronger through a photo. Oh, so it's visual. Yep. Okay. I can do a bit of auditory. I would say my auditory skill is probably like at 40 to 50% photo skills mm -hmm. about 99 to 100 from what I've currently done anyway. I see. Yep. So let me just go in and look at some of the notes I took before we jumped on here. So the major pattern that I see for you is this overwhelming concern with how well off your future family is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you consciously think about this, but that seems to be something that really weighs 
heavy on you. And it's very deliberate of, I, I need to do these things, or I really want to do these things to make sure that my children are going to be in a better place than where I'm currently at. And I wrote down a connection with dad in the age of six. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what pops up when I give you some of that information. Yeah. So my dad, he, he, he does business. So when I was young, he always went back and forth from China and US. And it was back and forth in the beginning. And then eventually around like, like sometime in elementary school, he just like left and never really came back. And so there were a few years where we didn't connect and Asian parents don't communicate anything. So I didn't really know what was going on. So there is that like feeling of he doesn't care about us, the abandonment. And even after we reconnected, like later on in high school and college, it's always just been There's just a lot of story behind that, you know? And do you feel like on an ego level that if your dad or your family had enough money that that situation never would have happened? Oh, I well, totally, because he had to work really hard to support our family. And I felt like he sacrificed family for making money. So out of curiosity, what do you think your dad's goals were with the work that he did? How I see it now is different than how I saw it then. But how I see it now is he worked hard to make money for the family. But at the same time, I've, I believed at the time, and I, I still kind of believe it now that he chose his own life and his business over family. Like he is passionate about, you know, what he's doing. And so he chose that over being there for his kids. Out of curiosity, why did he need his own life so much? What was that attachment, that strong attachment to I need to do what I want to do? He's a strong person. I mean, he's a Leo. He's really like aggressive. He was... Do you know anything about where he came from or what his parents were like? Yeah, they were dirt poor. So my dad is, he's like a, he's very fiery and he'll fight for his life type of person. He's super strong. When he decides he wants to do it, he'll do it. And he, he's very powerful in, I, I, or maybe that's his life lesson. He wanted to be powerful or something because he grew up really, really dirt poor. Like my grandparents grew up in in China during the communist era where like, I know that my grandpa's sister died of like starvation. So it was like literally that environment. So yeah, in a sense, he'd rather keep you alive than necessarily care about your emotions at that moment in time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And my dad is not an emotional person. That's what I've realized. I used to think that he didn't love us or care about us because he wasn't here for us. He didn't want to talk to us, but our whole lives, he did financially support us. And I think to him, money is love. And he thought that that was enough. And it's, it's something I had to see later on in life. So in your reality, did you ever feel like starvation was possible with you? Or did you ever feel like that you didn't have your physical needs met? No, I felt like I lived a pretty privileged enough life in the U.S. It's just that because my my dad wasn't here, my mom was so busy working that I didn't feel like my parents took as good of care of us as other parents did. You know, my mom would leave us after school. I was in elementary school. So you're like six or seven years old. Usually parents pick you up right after, but I would be left at the park for like two to three hours before my mom could pick us up because she came after work. And I was just, it was like a public park and I was by myself or with my brother. And so things like that. Okay. Did your, in your dad's eyes, do you think that he ever thought that you guys had all of your physical needs met? Oh yeah. Okay. What do you think physical needs met were in his eyes? Was that food on the table? Was it a huge amount of clothing? Was it that your mom no longer had to work? What do you think 
needs being met was in his eyes. I'm just guessing here <laughs> because I, I don't really know, right. you know? So I guessing like food, shelter, and just good school. He was adamant about us like doing well in school and being successful. What do you think it would have taken him to stop working and to just stay home? What would have had to have happened to make that work? I really don't think that he would. I, I don't believe that it would ever be meant to be like that. Maybe it, because there's, there's many issues. It's not just the work. It's also the relationship with my mom. You know, it wasn't the best. And yeah, I, I just can't see it. And I, I actually think that we are better off that he didn't live with us because I would have grown up a different person. He's so strict and so puts so much pressure on us that we would have been even more sick. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? What is the little kid version of you think that that needed to happen to bring dad home? I don't even know. I I think it might have been, I might have put it on myself. I I think in my eyes, I I had to be successful, you know, Mm -hmm. so that he would be either proud of me or so so that he wouldn't have to work so hard. Okay. And if you're successful, dad would have came home. Mm, I don't think I ever thought of it like that, but maybe, maybe subconsciously. Okay because I really don't know. I never really thought of what would make him come home. Let's say that, let's take an interesting approach with this. Let's say you were a childhood actor, like at Mm -hmm. six or something like that, and dad was out traveling Mm -hmm. and you were successful. Do you think he would have came home if you had enough money and you were booking frequent jobs? Maybe. Okay. So I think that that's an interesting thing to something that I also picked up on you, which was Mm -hmm. just this general thing of, let me see if I can go back to it. I'm never doing enough. Mm -hmm. Otherwise I will endure where I was in childhood. Oh, interesting. Because I don't want to get back to where I was in childhood. Correct. Yes. Ah, I can see that. So I would imagine based off of the patterns that I'm seeing there, that you are Mm -hmm. very much a pusher, even if Mm -hmm. it's past your own physical health and emotional health, that if I get these things done, I know that it's going to benefit me in the future. And I want to do a quick PSA as to how that can be detrimental because we live in such a task-oriented society or success or goal-oriented society that sometimes not reaching the goal right away on the timeline that you want is actually more beneficial because it gives you the time and space to gather more intellectual resources and emotional resources to make the project even better. Because Mm -hmm. when we're working on that empty tank, we tend to miss smaller details. We don't have our whole heart and soul into things. And that can start to eventually turn what you're working into as something that doesn't feel good anymore. So I, I always like to reiterate that it's always helpful to work a little bit and then rest a little bit and work a Mm -hmm. little bit and rest a little bit. So out of kind of the things that I said, what is your daily life currently like? Is it more of, I'm, I'm very goal driven. I want to get this and this and this done. How do you take Right. I'm very, well, on the weekdays, I'm very to-do list driven. I'm, I like prioritize my tasks. I'm just trying to like get a lot done, especially in these two weeks, my energy is like do, 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 because I'm, I'm going to be traveling for six weeks. I leave next week. So I'm, I'm in that mode where I'm like, got to get everything done. I am ambitious where I like to, I I like to set a lot of goals and tell myself, I want to get this much stuff done and it can get overwhelming or stressful. (laughs) So what Mm -hmm. were to happen if you don't get anything done on your to-do list? What 
thoughts and feelings start to pop up? It, it can be both. Sometimes I feel bad about myself, but then other times I, I'm, I've learned to be gentle with myself over time and just let's just do it tomorrow. It can be either or. Define the bad about myself. What does that look like? Frustrated and annoyed that I, I didn't do the important things I needed to get done. Mm-hmm. And what does that say about you as a person if you can't say or do important things that need to get done? It's I, ultimately is that I'm not good enough. Like I could have done better. So let's play off of that. I'm not good enough. And what happens if you're not good enough? Nothing. <laughs> you just feel bad about yourself. Let's keep going with that because I think okay. there's another thing right underneath that. I'm not good enough. If you went up, I want you to visualize your dad. Right. Like, I'm not good enough old. or I'm not loved. Mm-hmm. Is that That's what's it. under it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's been a journey for me to learn to give myself that self-love and believe in my own self-worth. So I want to go back and talk a little bit more about this dad stuff because you have completely rationalized and head <laughs> forgiven him, yeah. but the heart forgiveness has not taken place right. yet from my perspective. Okay. So let's say that your dad came home on one of the trips that he took. I want you to picture you remembering anything remotely like that in your head. Mm-hmm. And I want you to have him lean down and talk to you as a child what would he say that would make everything that he's been doing okay? Probably, I love you and I care about you. Or, you know, you're you're good enough. I love you. I care about you. You're good enough. What else? Mm. I'm not doing these things because of you. Yeah, yeah. I think I thought that I was, like when I was a kid, you, you think that your parents do things because of you, but you don't realize that there's so many other factors mm-hmm. in, going on. So from my perspective, that's that heart forgiveness right there of I'm not doing these things because of you. It has nothing to do with you. And that's a big thing of helping someone in general become okay with anything is realizing that it probably has nothing to do with you. That angry person that flips you off in traffic, even if you accidentally like ran a red light or something like that, that reaction has absolutely nothing to do with you. Right. And just realizing if it has nothing to do with you, then it, you can let it go. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Absolutely. So if you have time for one more thing, there was one more thing that I was going to bring to the surface. Yeah. The second thing that I thought was just important for future purposes was this new work project that I keep seeing circling around you. And it has to do with a writing project, oh, almost yeah. like a book or... Yeah. Or I, I don't know how to quite describe it. It's not articles. <laughs> well, I've been wanting to write a book for the longest time. And what's been preventing you from doing that? Do you consciously know of anything? A few things. I mean, I it's been a few years where I've made an outline and then I've decided, okay, I don't want it to be about that anymore. And then now I'm kind of, everything's up in the air of I don't know what it's about, how I'm going to structure it. And then two, how to even get it made. Ah, Okay. Can I provide some insight on that? Sure. Sure. So the, I don't know what it is about. That's the underlying expectation that you should know what your book is about, which logically Mm -hmm. one could answer, well, yeah, if I'm going to write a book, I should know what it's about. But I think with the current mindset that you're in and that you're such in the spirituality realm, why not just start writing? And if you like whatever you wrote, add it in someday. And if you don't like what you wrote, mm. don't add it in someday or add it into a different project. Just write right. whatever pops up and then just keep it somewhere. And then uh-huh. by the time that you know what you want it to be about, if you know what you want it to be about, you're going to have it all written. You just have mm. to put it in place. Okay. That, yeah, that's helpful. 
And I, I mentioned I was going to be traveling. I'm, I'm planning to like plan and write a little bit when I'm abroad too. So I think it's just when you feel like the time feels right to write, just just go in and write whatever comes to mind down, place mm-hmm. it somewhere in a folder. Of, and you can categorize it by thoughts. Like this is a thought about my family. This is a thought about health. This is a thought about business. And you can categorize it and organize it. But then mm-hmm. when you feel like you're ready to have a book published, pull all those things out and start organizing it and see what you got. Awesome. Thank you. So I'll move on to the rapid fire questions. Now, this is for you now. Alrighty. Okay. So what does your dream life look like? My dream life looks like what I'm doing now, except with more people. Oh, that's amazing. What is a book or resource that you recommend to everybody? Louise Hay, anything that she's ever written. You can heal my life. Yeah, that's the big one. What is one habit that has changed your life? Making a commitment to at least do three things for myself every week to take care of myself in some capacity. Mm, Love that. What is the best life or career advice that you've ever gotten? Don't do something even if you think you should do it. And the last one is finish the sentence. The most amazing part about life is... That you get to sit and enjoy it. Oh. And lastly, Rachel, where can we find you online? So you can go to www.myraeofhope.com and you can click on the personal clients tab. And from there, I can go in and provide any kind of emotional and spiritual insight once your appointment time comes. Awesome. Thank you so much for this interview. It was so interesting and informative. And thanks for doing the live reading too. Absolutely. I really enjoyed talking to you and I hope it helps a lot of your listeners as well. Okay, guys, so that was insane. Rachel Reimer is an incredible human being. I am just so intrigued and so impressed by what she can do with her gift. She definitely has a very unique gift. And I'm curious to know what your guys' point of view, what your stance is on this topic, because I've read books by Carolyn Miss, Anatomy of the Spirit, and Louise Hay. And so I see the side of how all physical symptoms come from some sort of emotional or spiritual cause. And I know some people out there who are more science-based and logic-based, they might think this is crazy. I mean, they probably wouldn't be listening this far into the episode if you were, you know, very science or logic-based, but this stuff is just so fascinating to me. I do want to point out how Rachel said the most common source of physical ailments is resentment and anger. Resentment and anger that you've held onto from the past and not learning, not being able to fully forgive. And she talks about how there's a difference between forgiving in the head and forgiving in the heart because you can logically understand why you need to forgive someone, but forgiving in the heart is a different story. It really takes more out of it. And you guys heard how she was talking me through my story and learning to forgive, release whatever I had going on. I feel like I've already done so much work my entire adult life trying to undo the past pain and the past hurt that I've gone through in my childhood with my dad and my story. And yet there's still more to go. There's still more healing, more forgiveness, just more work to be done. And it just shows you that this is not like a quick fix. This is not something that can be easily like changed in a night or a day. And it's just, it takes time. It takes effort. You need to allow yourself to be open and vulnerable and look at yourself. Ask yourself these questions that you might not want to be facing. Yeah, it's some pretty 
deep and interesting stuff right there. If you have any comments or any feedback, let me know in the Facebook group or even on Instagram because I would just love to hear your thoughts on this. All right, sending you so much love and I will talk to you in the next one. Bye. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. Lastly, you can catch me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavender, where I have even more content for the artist of life. Sending you so much love. Bye.